So I wondered if there were any practice questions that we could use as a springboard for our Dharma conversations this afternoon. Ah, basic ones are good. I'm just trying to remember the four principles of wise speech, and only three of them have come back to my mind. <laughs> what have you got so far? Um, honest, kindly, um, oh, no, only two are coming. Okay, just a great question, because, you know, I've often said that wise speech <laughs> is probably the practice <laughs> for everyday life. So even when you're not sitting, most of us are talking. And um, it's really helpful to have some sense of how to do that in a way that's wise and skillful. So the four, there are many different guidelines. Um, and if you look, for example, at the, the Zen lay precepts, there are ten of them and several of them are about wise speech. But the four that I find um, helpful and that are in the suttas are honest, timely, beneficial in the sense of helpful, and kind in the sense of meant in a friendly way. So it's beneficial and kind. Yeah, kind is the one. Yeah. And kind isn't, it's really important to remember that kind is not wussy. It's not just being nice to be nice and letting somebody walk over you. It's kind in the sense of this is you're, you're you're coming from a place of friendliness and compassion for this person. And the other thing that's important is that these guidelines for wise speech all have to be there. So honest isn't enough if it's not timely or it's not helpful or it's not kind. Helpful if it's not honest. That's pretty simple, you know. Um, and so you can see when you start playing with, well, what if it's just one, um, or two even, it's still not enough. You really need to have all four of them. And the other thing I'd like to remind all of us about wise speech is that this practice of silence is actually one of the best supports that you have for wise speech. Because in learning to be silent, we learn that you know, you, you just don't always have to have the mouth going. And if somebody says something or something's going on and you need to respond, it can be really helpful to just say, wait a minute, I'm not going to say anything. I see this in this video. I'm not going to say anything for a couple of minutes. I just want to sit here and think about it and sit with it and figure out, you know, how I want to respond. And then you respond out of that place, using the silence to support and then you can kind of run it through, honest, beneficial, timely. And you know, there's been, I often say, many, many times with my dear, sweet, beloved husband at about 10.30 at night, and I have this thing that's come up, right? And, and to remember, oh, this probably isn't timely. You know, 10.30 at night is, for, I mean, for some people it's great, but... Um, it's not my best time. So, you know, if the conversation doesn't go well, then it's off. So to keep, keep those in mind and use them for your speech guidelines, really, really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. It, it came up because I was thinking of a time when I was, I was very unwise. Uh-huh. And, I, and I thought, you know, really, I didn't have any of those four going for me at that <laughs> Yeah, there are those moments. I thought it was honest. 
Well, yeah, because then, of course, then you have things like greed, hatred, and delusion, right? <laughs> and so we can be incredibly deluded, and we can think this is really true, you know, and and it's not. So it gets it gets so tricky, doesn't it? This business of being with the mind and the heart in a way that's skillful. I mean, that's the whole gist of the practice and why it is that we do this because we're not very skillful. You know, that, that quote that I sometimes use from Henri Nouwen about forgiveness, it's talking about it's the practice of love among the family of the weak, I think is how he phrases it, that is the human family. You know, we're just not very skilled, most of us, a lot of the time. And so we get caught in wanting things to be a particular way, or wanting them not to be a particular way, or not seeing very clearly. And then out of that, the speech can arise that isn't any of those guidelines. And and then here you are, I don't know how much longer, but let's say several years later, going, oh, I really blew it. And and we all have those moments. I can look back, you know. I mean, the the hazard of living for a while is that you can look back over a long time, and then you begin to see that there's a lot of mistakes back in there, right? So, yeah. Is that wisdom? What? Is that the wisdom of age? Is that you can look back and see, oops. Oops. I have to... I'm at this stage in my life realizing that I have these expectations that people be wiser or smarter than they were. As they get older? Well, just all along. It's an interesting question. I mean, sometimes I've wondered, you know, all this practice, I feel like I'm doing a little bit better, but I'm also a little bit older. Maybe I'm just, you know, that's what did it, is I got older, and so I got smarter. Um... Assuming that we learn from our mistakes, I do think we get wiser as we get older, and I certainly um, know where, you know, we talk about how precepts are like hazard tape or guide lights, you know, for the dangerous places, and the truth of getting older is you begin to know where some of the dangerous places are for yourself, because we all have our particular favorites, right? And so we begin to know, oh, I need to be careful in this situation, or I can't go there, or I can't do this. If I look back to when I was 25, I thought I could do just about anything I wanted to do, you know, and I wasn't always so careful. And I'll bet we could have a lot of fun talking about what we did when we were 25 <laughs> wasn't so careful. Uh, yeah, so I do think some of it comes with age, and some of it comes with giving it your best shot to be as awake as possible in every given moment. And to so that teaching of the Buddha, you remember the Buddha says that I come to teach about the nature of suffering and the ending of suffering. So that's always the question. There's actually a lovely sutta passage in which the Buddha gives the instruction to his son about looking at every situation and 
and asking, is what I'm about to do going to cause suffering to myself or to another? Or is it going to be beneficial to myself or to another? If it's causing suffering, then don't do it. Simple as that. You know. And, um, so it's all about what in this moment, where can I stand where I'm not causing myself suffering nor creating it for another person? And I believe that there is a, a moment of that kind of freedom, there's a place of that kind of freedom in every moment. And I think of it as kind of a geography, that you can find it. And, and you keep looking, all right, where in this situation can I take a stand where I'm not causing suffering for anyone? Right. And they're not. So it's not a free spot. You know, if, if you're expecting somebody is something what that they're not, that's not that's diluted. <laughs> Please, Are there guidelines for undoing? Are there guidelines for undoing? <laughs> <laughs> maybe you realize maybe sooner, or maybe almost immediately, or later, because from an apology, is that, is that Well, that's a very interesting question. There, there are formal ways of making amends, in, primarily in the monastic world. And, um, and there are rituals, you know, who was I listening to? Oh, Bob Stahl was talking when we talked together on Saturday about how in his monastery in Burma, I think either I think it was once a week, but it might have been daily. Some of the rest of you were there. I think he said daily. Was it daily? One of the you know a, a young monk would sit down with an older monk, and each of them would tell the other where they had broken the precepts or hadn't done so well. It's not really an apology, but it is that place where you own where you haven't done so well. So my own sense is that in our lay lives, we talk a lot about intention, so you have the intention not to harm. And as soon as you have that intention not to harm, and you find out that you were deluded, the person wasn't what you thought they were, or whatever, or what you did was harmful, my own experience is that that intention carries me into the next step. Because I'm quite willing then to go back and say, I'm so sorry, I did not mean to hurt you. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't the wise thing to say. I didn't say it clearly. Whatever it is I need to say. So I think, you know, that thing, um, I think that's one of the great wise places in 12-step work where, where part of the practice is you go back and make amends. Very, very helpful. I had, I can't say too much about it, but I actually received a letter not too long ago from someone that I'd had some connection with many years ago, and it was an amends. I had completely forgotten this person. And it was very, very sweet. Really wonderful thing to have that happen. So I think that's, you know, that's that place where you can bring some healing to whatever harm we've caused. Yeah. Please, yeah. Well, there's that spot where you say, okay, if I do this, it will harm so-and-so. But if I don't do this, it will harm me. Ah, tricky, yeah. Well, you know, we were talking, you're in the committed students group, right? We were talking about moral ambiguity. Bingo. (laughs) What? Bingo. Bingo, yeah. (laughs) 
So, so then really, mm, it's very tricky. You know, there's that wonderful story about the the Buddha when he was a bodhisattva, right? I think I've told it here many times where he he's on a boat, he's not the Buddha yet, this is a previous lifetime. There's a sea captain who's going to kill all the passengers, the, the pre-Buddha, if you will, the bodhisattva, decides that what needs to happen is, is to kill the sea captain, so he does. I heard this story, I heard this story the first time from the Dalai Lama. And so he points out, and it's pointed out in the story, that the sea captain had several different levels of motivation. One was to perfect, protect all the passengers. One was to protect the sea captain from the karma of killing all those passengers. And the other was the complete willingness to take on the karma of harming the sea captain himself. So, you know, the, the, the instruction that I received was you have to have all of that kind of motivation really, really clear, which most of us don't in those ambiguous situations. And sometimes it's helpful to just sit with it and wait and keep looking because sometimes there's a path we're not seeing that is not harmful to either. And that's, I think, the place to really look for. All right, we need to stop. Thank you. I always love it when you provide the (laughs) topics for a Dharma conversation.